Okay, praise God. Okay, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, 11 through 20. Mark 4, 11 through 20. If you're joining us here in person, you'll see the passage on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, I want to say welcome, and you'll see the passage on your screen at home. So Mark 4, 11 through 20. This is God's word. And Jesus said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory. Truly, Lord, you are worthy of our worship. And Lord Jesus, we know that you are here. We know that you are the head of this church. In one way that you cleanse and nourish and guide your church is through your word. Father, not my thoughts, opinions, sermonizing. Lord, your word. That is how you bless your church. And so, Lord God, please, Lord God, speak through your word today. Lord, let the words in the pages of scripture come alive to us. Let us hear it and receive it in faith and let it bear fruit like we just read, 30, 60, 100 fold. Father God, do that, Lord God, by your mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're continuing our study of spiritual discipline. So we've been in this series on being a disciple and within that series, we're having this little mini series on spiritual disciplines. And I'm not going to review everything that we've been looking at for the last few weeks, but if you missed it, you can go back and easily find all of it online on our website. But I want to simply remind all of you what spiritual disciplines are. But spiritual disciplines are activities in the Christian life that we regularly and habitually do in order to put ourselves in the path of God's grace. I like to say it like this, to put ourselves under the waterfall of God's grace. As one author says it, they are habits of grace. I like that, habits of grace. But what does that mean exactly? Well, it means, for example, if you are regularly practicing the habit of prayer, then you are placing, positioning yourself in the path of God's grace. In other words, you're going to be experiencing and receiving God's grace. How? Well, in the form of answered prayer. Maybe as you're praying, you're going to receive more peace as you're going through some difficulty or trial in your life. Maybe you're kind of cold for God. You're kind of dying in your passion for God. And then suddenly as you're praying, you receive this greater renewed passion for Christ. You're receiving God's grace. Why? Simply because you got on your knees and practiced this discipline, the discipline of prayer. So that discipline is not earning God's blessings for you. You're not changing yourself through it. But again, you are merely putting yourself in the path of God's grace so that you can receive it. 
So that is what a spiritual discipline is. They are simply a way to regularly and habitually place yourself, position yourself to receive from God. So that is your part. That is our part. To position ourselves to receive from God. And then once we do that, then God now pours out his grace towards us. That is his part. So do you see both of these things working together? We've looked at this for the last few weeks. But it is 100% God. It is 100% us. We are in this together with God. I use this analogy for the last few weeks, but it's kind of like playing a two-on-two tournament with LeBron James as your teammate. We're right there. We're running right behind him, working very hard to win these basketball games. But in the end, who brought the victory? We all know. It was LeBron. It was him. Amen? So that is the way it is with us and God. We are in it together with him. He brings the victory, and yet we are working very hard. Not to change ourselves, not to earn blessings from God, but we work very hard in order to position ourselves to receive, to put ourselves in the path of God's grace. And so we've been looking at the spiritual disciplines for the last few weeks. We've looked at prayer. And then last week, we began looking at our second spiritual discipline, which is being in the word being in the word. So last week we began that message and we're going to finish it today. Now, before we even open the word of God, there are some things that we must understand in order to benefit from the word. See, unless we understand these things, then you're not going to get much benefit from the word. And that's why so many Christians, they spend time trying to read the word. They even come to church, try to hear the word, but there's no benefit. They don't get any benefit. Well, it's because there are some things you need to understand. So first, we must understand the Christ of the Word. So this is from last week, but the Christ of the Word. What do I mean? We must understand that all of Scripture comes from Christ and points to Christ. So do you know what this means? This means that when you are reading the Word of God, if you want to receive from the Word, if you want to benefit from it, then how your heart sees Christ how your heart is already responding to Christ directly impacts that. It directly relates. So how your heart sees Christ and responds to Christ determines how deeply you're going to receive God's word and benefit from it. So where do I get that from? Well, this comes directly from the parable of the four soils in Mark 4. So in that parable we just read, this parable is all about Jesus himself. Jesus was talking about himself, I believe. But he was talking about how he was going throughout the region of Galilee and in his ministry, he was scattering the word of God. So here's the incarnate word of God, the word made flesh, Jesus, proclaiming the spoken word of God to anyone and everyone. And as people were hearing this word of Christ, it was landing on different soils. So Jesus was literally talking about himself and how the seed of God's word landed and interacted with people's hearts It all depended on how they saw Jesus. So what do I mean? Well, those who had an open heart towards Jesus, maybe they heard some rumors about Jesus, and whatever it is, they just believed. They believed that this might be the true Messiah. And even with their small belief, they came out. And they desired to see him. They desired other things. Maybe they had worldly desires, but they desired to see Jesus. They really wanted to hear from him. Well, these are people with good hearts. And because they had good soil, the word came and it went deep and it began to bear fruit. See, it all depended on how they responded to Jesus. But other people, they were resistant to Jesus. 
So they heard the same things about the rumors of Jesus, this person going around, and they only had this superficial belief. Maybe they just wanted to see a miracle. They came out to see a miracle. Maybe they desired Jesus, but they had all these other desires that were greater, more consuming, worldly desires. And so these people, and maybe some, they had unbelief, but these people, they had bad soil. And so when they heard the word, that seed came, and it just landed on their hearts on top, and then nothing. It went away. And so these were the people who weren't responding to Jesus. And so do you see that? How you respond to Jesus directly affects how you receive the word of God. So this is the first thing we need to understand. It is the Christ of the word, that all scripture comes from Christ and points to Christ. And even as you're sitting here today, even as you're hearing the word right now, how your heart is already responding to Jesus determines how you're going to receive the word. For some, it's going to go deep into your heart and begin to bear fruit, and others, it's just going to bounce right off. The enemy will come and snatch it away. So you can't separate Jesus from the Word of God. How your heart receives Christ will determine how you will receive the Word of God. You know, Paul himself said this later in the New Testament. So it's not just Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.14, Paul said, For to this day when the Jews read the Old Covenant, that same veil that was on Moses, it remains on them, unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So isn't that interesting? You would think Paul would have said, you know what? When they read the word, it was their hardness to the word that made them unable to receive the word. No, that's not what he said. He said when they read the word, it was their hardness to Jesus. That's what made them unable to receive the word. See, do you see that? So those were the Jews in Paul's day, but what about us? Okay, what about all of you sitting here? Okay, when you read your Bible, what are you looking for? Okay, what are you wanting? Do you read your Bible? I hope you do. But when you do, what are you desiring from it? Is it Christ or is it something else? And so the next time you sit down to read your Bible, I encourage you, pause and reflect first on what is in your heart. What are you really wanting? What is there? And you know what? You might be surprised at what you find in your heart. Maybe it's not really Christ you're wanting as you read the word. Well, if you're going to benefit from the word of God, you must foresee the Christ of the word. In other words, you've got to seek him. You've got to desire him. And when that meets the word of God and you see Jesus in the word, there's fire. And so we saw that last week. There's going to be fire. So that's the first thing we need to understand. And then, last week, before we ended the message, we looked at the second thing we must understand, which is the barriers to the word. And this also comes from Mark 4, the barriers to the word. But the human heart is not naturally receptive to the word of God. It's not. It doesn't easily hear and understand and receive the word. This is why so many people hear God's word. They might even read God's word, but there's no fruit. I've even known people who have gone to church for decades, even my, my own life, right? I've gone to church for years in the past, and there's zero fruit. So the human heart is not naturally receptive to the word of God, and why is that? There are barriers, barriers to the word within the human heart. So we saw this last week as well in Mark 4, but he mentioned several different ones. First, there's the heart and path. Okay, this is the heart with unbelief. It cannot believe God or Jesus. 
It refuses to believe. doesn't matter what is put in front of them. They just cannot believe. They don't want to believe. That's the hardened path. Second, Jesus mentioned the shallow soil. I'm just kind of running through this as review. But the shallow soil, okay, this is the heart with no root. There's no commitment. Again, these are the fan weather fans. They just show up because they want from thing, something from Jesus, but they don't want Jesus himself. So this is the shallow soil. The seed goes in, begins to sprout, and then the moment something hard happens, they're gone. It's gone. And then finally, Jesus mentioned the thorny heart. Okay, this is the heart that believes in Christ. There might even be some genuine faith there, but there are all these other desires a desire for a better career, for, for things for their children, a bigger house, whatever. And they are filled with all these worldly concerns, and so it chokes out the word of God once it comes in. And so kind of like a thorny bush, if you've ever been near a thorny bush, it kind of snags you, right, unexpectedly. It, it just kind of catches your clothing. It's the same with the thorns in your heart. It just kind of snags you unexpectedly. And then it begins to choke out that word. And so these are all different barriers we looked at. This is what Jesus mentioned. In all of us, we have all these barriers in our hearts. At different points, at different seasons in life, we have these different barriers. And this is why, again, when we sit down to read the Word of God, even right now, as you hear the Word of God, for some of us, it, it just won't go in. Right? It just won't go in, and it can't bear the fruit. It won't bear the fruit. So then what can we do? Well, we need to turn back to Christ. Remember earlier I said how you respond to Jesus determines how you receive the word? You need to turn back to Christ. You've got to repent of these things and turn back to him. So how your heart receives Christ determines how your heart will receive the word. So if you want these barriers gone from your heart, if you want your heart to become fertile soil, then turn to Jesus. You know, I experienced this very clearly earlier when I was uh, much younger. I'm an older man now, but when I was in my 20s, or even younger than that, when I was in high school, I remember I used to go to church every Sunday, and I kid you not, no exaggeration, the moment the pastor would open the Bible and begin to read the passage for that Sunday, suddenly this peace would come upon me, this demonic peace, right? I would get very comfortable, and then within minutes, I'm out. Okay, I would get my best sleep at church. I would fall asleep every single Sunday. I am out. And then I would just hear nothing, and then right when the sermon ended, I would wake up, and I would be refreshed, and then go hang out with my friends. And so what that showed me is that my heart was not receptive to the word, right? It was not receptive to the word. Why? Because I wasn't there to hear Christ speak to me. I wasn't there to seek him. And because I wasn't there for him, I couldn't receive the word. They always go together. But then, fast forward a little bit, and then I remember freshman year in college, through a series of events and hearing the gospel and different things, hardships in my life, I truly came to believe in Christ. I grew up in church my whole life, but then I truly came to faith in Christ. I came to know him. I encountered him in unmistakable ways. And then one of the biggest shocks to me is I showed up to church shortly after that. I was wide awake. <laughs> that demonic peace wouldn't come upon me. I was wide awake. And I don't think I'm lying here but I can't remember ever falling asleep again in a sermon. It doesn't matter. It could be in a different language. I would sit through an hour-long service in Mexico, barely understood what was being preached. I, I just can't fall asleep because I'm there to try to hear from Christ. And it wasn't something that I worked at. It's not because I'm so holy or special. It just happened to me. It was God's grace. 
Again, why? Well, what was the difference? I met Christ. And because I received Christ, now I'm ready to receive the word. So these things always go together. So if you have these barriers in your heart, even right now, if you're like, I don't know, the word of God just means very little to me. Even this word today, it doesn't really do anything. Then my encouragement is turn to Christ. Your level of receiving Christ will determine your level of receiving the word. So these are the things we must understand. And so today what I want to do is I want to finish out the rest of the points. Two more things we must understand about the word. If we're going to benefit from the word of God as his disciples. So these two more things are also in Mark 4. But the next one is the life force in the word. Okay, the life force in the word. Mark 4.20. Jesus said, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So because the word of God, all 66 books of the Bible is breathed out by God. That's what the Bible says. Breathed out by God, there's life. There's divine life in the word. It has the power of divine life within it. And so Jesus used this analogy to describe that life force, seed. This is why he used that analogy, seed. Because physical seed, even though it's static, it looks dead even, there's life in it. You know, I read something amazing, but in the Guinness Book of World Records, the oldest seed ever to be planted in the ground and germinated. Guess how old the seed is? The oldest seed ever to germinate. 2,000 years old. They found a 2,000-year-old seed. In fact, several of them. In Mas- Masada, Israel, it was a date seed. You know, the fruit dates. But it was a date seed. And interestingly, interestingly, the seed was likely in Israel at the time of Jesus. So Jesus, when he was walking the earth, the seed was probably there. The scientists, they found five seeds, date seeds, and they planted three of them to see if they would germinate, and one actually did. Isn't that amazing? 2,000-year-old seed. Incredible. But what is that? That's life. There's a life force inside the seed, even though it looks inert and dead. And so Jesus wisely took that as the analogy for what? The Word of God. The Word of God is like that seed. And so even though the Word of God, it looks like words on a page, even though it looks inert, it, it doesn't look like it does anything really. It's just a book. But within the Word of God, there is a life force. There is power to bring life, to make dead hearts come alive, even today. And this book is thousands of years old, just like that seed. And not only do things come alive but Jesus said, from one seed, there can be what? 30, 60, 100-fold. That's a harvest. Okay, brothers and sisters, that, that's a harvest out of a single seed. So in other words, inside a single seed, there is power, enough life power to produce an entire harvest. You know, I grew up in Nebraska. I, I know, very bizarre. <laughs> what was I doing there? But... I grew up in Nebraska, and I remember seeing a lot of cornfields. Okay, that's one of the beauties of Nebraska. You drive past acres and acres of cornfields, and so I know a thing or two about corn. But when you look at a corn, an ear of corn, every single one of those kernels, so yummy, right? You butter it up. But every single kernel is what? It's a seed. And if you were to pluck out one kernel and then plant it in the ground, what would happen? You would see, soon see a sprout, a plant would grow up, very tall, 
and then eventually those plants would branch out and then clusters of ears of corn would form. And then if you were to pull off a single ear of corn and open it up, what do you see? Hundreds of more kernels and every single one is another seed that has the power to grow another corn plant. So what does that mean? That means out of a single seed is the power to produce a harvest, an entire harvest. Use that analogy with an acorn, there is enough power in an acorn to produce an entire forest. So this is the analogy Jesus is using. A seed is a harvest in potential form. And likewise, the word of God has great power to produce a harvest, not just one fruit here or there, but an entire harvest of righteousness, faith, love, obedience, new converts, good works to change the world. Again, that might sound like an exaggeration, but this is Jesus' analogy. Again, all of that is contained in a single seed. That's the power of life within it. So this is a powerful, liberating truth. This is, in fact, amazing because it frees us from completely trying to do anything on our own to produce fruit. We can't produce fruit on our own. And it frees us from that. And I believe Jesus really wanted us to understand this because in that same chapter, Mark 4, he told another parable. He's very similar, but Jesus is really trying to drive this home. But in Mark 4.26, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grown in the ear. That's exactly what I talked about. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So he's telling this similar parable just a few verses later. He's really driving home this point. But Jesus said in Mark 4, 28, all by itself, the soil with the seed in it produces grain. You know what that word is, all by itself in the Greek? That phrase, all by itself, in the Greek is the word automate. Okay, what does that sound like? It's where we get our word automatic. So literally, automatically, once that seed, the true seed is in the ground, automatically. And Jesus is emphasizing this point, whether the man slept or rose up, doesn't even know how, doesn't even understand how the seed, once the true seed hits the ground, good soil is bearing fruit. So I really needed to hear this truth when I began ministry many, many years ago. Because I remember when I first started out as a college pastor, leading a bunch of college students, I was always running around trying to make things happen all the time, right? Running from meeting to meeting, staying up all night, putting together flyers, organizing events, and none of that is bad. All of that is necessary in many ways. But what was wrong? My mindset, I thought all of that activity would bear the fruit. So I'm just running around like mad, right? I'm just like, oh, I gotta do all these things. I gotta put all these things together. Why? Because that's gonna bear the fruit. And yet Jesus emphasized the exact opposite of what I believed. But again, he said the worker in the field has very little to do with the growth and producing the harvest. He emphasizes this night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, automatically, the seed produces grain. So do you see that? Jesus really wants us to understand. So then what is necessary to bear spiritual fruit in our lives and in other people around us? Don't you want to bear fruit this year? We're talking about disciples and being disciples then what is needed? Is it to run around like the way I ran around? 
I would argue, no, based on what Jesus says, it's one thing. Diligently plant real seed. The seed of God's word. Continuously and diligently plant God's word in your own heart and in the hearts of people around you. And maybe water it with prayer. Yes, water it too. But I would argue that is all that is needed. Believers can get involved in so many other things and yet miss this. But they get involved in all different kind of activities. And I've seen churches do so much as well. And they are doing all these things with the good intention to bear fruit. And yet Jesus said, no, only one thing is necessary. Plant real seed in good soil and then watch it grow. And so people, they are running around producing fellowship events, doing kind acts, seeking powerful experiences, going from retreat to retreat, doing outreach events. And again, all these things, are they bad? No. They're good, maybe even needed. But until the seed of God's word is planted in good soil, there's no fruit. There's no fruit. That's why you can go to a bowling event and drink boba with your friends for 30 years, right, with Christian friends. You can do that every single Sunday for 30 years, but if there's no seed planted in your heart, you're going to see zero fruit. That makes sense, right? Even in the natural. A farmer can have an entire barn of perfect, beautiful seed. Healthy seed. Not 2,000 years old, just a year old, right? Healthy seed. And this farmer could build the most beautiful farmhouse, buy the most powerful tractors, plow the ground diligently, water it faithfully every single day. But until he does one thing, and only one thing, there's going to be no harvest. Okay, what is that one thing? He's got to take some of that seed and plant it in the ground. It doesn't matter what kind of tractor, barn houses, how much he plows the ground, what he waters, how often. It doesn't matter what he does. He's got to plant that seed in the ground. Otherwise, there's just a lot of activity, but never any fruit. Is that clear? I'm trying to emphasize this as much as Jesus did. But you must plant real seed in real hearts that are receptive if you're going to see a spiritual harvest. Otherwise, it's a recipe for discouragement. Okay, could this be why so many believers are discouraged? Okay, I talk to a lot of people. That's what pastors do. And I face a lot of discouragement whenever I talk to people. Okay, a lot of people who say, you know, I should be more passionate for God. I'm just not. Okay, I'm not even sure if I want to keep coming to church. And I mean, there's this discouragement all the time. But why is that? Okay, well, why are they striving? Why are they trying so hard? Why are they busy with so many things? coming to church faithfully, trying to read their Bible, even get involved a little bit, serve. And yet, months go by, years go by, and then they look at their lives and I'm the same. I have no fruit. I haven't changed. Okay, why is that? Well, I suggest to you, could it be that they're doing all these things, like that farmer building barns and plowing the ground, and yet they forgot the one thing, right? They're not planting the seed of God's word diligently and regularly in their hearts and in other people. And so we must plant the real seed of God's word. And when I say real seed, I want to be clear. I'm talking about a spirit-directed, spirit-breathed scripture. I still believe God can speak in other ways, but I'm talking about scripture. But I don't just merely mean words printed on a page. I'm talking about a spirit-breathed, spirit-directed scripture that gets planted in your heart and in other people's hearts. Okay, not just good advice, even Christian advice, or even just good thoughts about God. 
how many of you guys have shared that? You're meeting with a Christian friend, having boba, and they start sharing their problems. You're like, you know what? Why don't you like do this? And you just give them some good thoughts about God. Okay, I'm not talking about that. That might help. But I'm talking about scripture. But it has to be spirit-directed and spirit-breathed. Okay, that's the seed. Jesus said in John 6, 63, my words are spirit and they are life. My words, okay, not your thoughts, not Christian ideas. My words are spirit and they are life. But how does spirit-directed, spirit-breathed words get planted in your heart? Well, this brings us to the final thing we need to understand, our response to the word, our response. But go back to Mark 4.20. Jesus said, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. So how do spirit-directed, spirit-breathed words from God get planted in our hearts? Well, Jesus told us two things we must do. Hear and accept. If you like circling, you can circle those two words. Hear and accept. So first, hear. A key concept throughout this parable is hearing. In fact, all of Mark 4, or a lot of it. Because Jesus, after he told this parable of the four soils, he says in verse 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See how important that is? Hearing is a key concept here. Different forms of the word hear, they also occur throughout this passage, but 13 times. So Jesus said, listen, verse 2, that's a form of the word hear, listen. Verses 9, 23, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 12, they may hear indeed, but not understand. Talking about those outside the kingdom. Verse 14, 15, 18, 20, he said, hear the word. Verse 24, he said, pay attention to what you hear. Do you see this pattern? Verse 33, as they were able to hear it. So repeatedly, Jesus is talking about hearing. Okay, well, what is all this talk about hearing? Well, in this context, the parable of the soils is really a parable about hearing. Depending on how people hear this spirit-directed, spirit-breathed word, they're going to bear fruit or bear no fruit. That's going to determine how their hearts are, how they hear. So hearing is very significant, but what is the significance of it? Well, if you look in the Old Testament, the word hearing or listening is basically the same word as obeying. These things are synonyms. But hearing or listening is literally the same thing as obeying. So this is how I understand it. But hearing is more than just hearing with the ears, amen? Clearly, Jesus is saying more than just listen with your ears. But when he was talking about hearing, he was talking about hearing with your heart. Because in the Old Testament, hearing something truly always meant obeying it ultimately. So that means if you hear the word of God, you're going to respond with your heart because you heard it with your heart. So I believe it means hearing with your heart. And from our passage, we learn that this hearing with the heart is what? It's a seeking heart. Remember going back to seeking Jesus? Before you even open this word, you should just pause and say, am I seeking Jesus today? Is that why I'm opening this, or do I just want to check something off? Do I want to just get a good tip on, on how to live a good life? Or am I seeking Jesus? Right? It's a seeking heart. A hearing heart is a seeking heart. It's also a desiring heart, desiring God, desiring to obey God. So we see that with the disciples. Mark 4.10, it says, And when he, Jesus, was alone, those around him 
with the 12 asked him about the parables. So it wasn't just the 12 disciples. Other disciples also came. And they had this kind of hearing heart. How do I know that? Because they were seeking. They wanted to obey. They wanted to understand and obey. See, that's the hearing heart. So when you read your Bible, do you have that kind of a hearing heart? A heart seeking after Christ, wanting to know him so that you can obey him. If you do, you have a hearing heart. You're ready to hear what God has to say. So whether you're doing personal devotions, you're listening to the audio Bible when you drive. Lately, I've been doing that a lot. I turn on the audio Bible. I'm kind of lazy. I'm like, read it for me, right? Phone, read it for me. I can't even read it myself. But, you know, the audio Bible, listening to a sermon like this one, studying the Bible on your own, talking to a friend and sharing verses to each other, whatever it is, you need to have a hearing heart. That's the point. You need to have a heart that is seeking God and you want to know him so you could obey him. You need to have that kind of a seeking, hearing heart. But Jesus said hearing alone is not enough. What else did he say? He said you need to hear and accept. So if you want the word of God, the seed of God's word, planted in your heart deeply, then you need to hear and accept. And I would say here, this is accepting in faith. Accept with faith. So I believe hearing and accepting is when the Spirit plants the Word of God deep in your heart because you heard it with faith. And you said, yes, Lord, and now you want to obey that. And so we must hear the Word of God and then receive it with faith. See, this is more than just comprehending the Word intellectually. You know, I was really shocked to hear when I was in college that one of my professors, he was a Bible scholar and he taught the Bible. I thought it was really wonderful what he's taught. And yet later I heard that he wasn't even a Christian. But even secular, non-believing Bible scholars, they can comprehend the word. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about hearing it and then accepting it with faith. So Paul made that clear, Galatians 3.5. Does God who supplies the spirit and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Okay, what produced all this fruit in your life, the spirit's activity, working in your life? It was hearing with faith, right? You must hear with faith. So the spirit will plant the word deep in your heart when you hear the word. Again, you're seeking Christ. You want to know him so you can obey him. You're hearing. And then you accept it with faith. You believe it. And when the spirit plants the word in your heart, and, you, and it's combined with faith, then boom, all kinds of things will begin to happen. So sometimes it might be invisible. You might hear the word and accept it with faith and nothing, right? You don't notice anything different, but the seed is there, right? It's going to bear fruit. But other times you know it, right? You, you, you sense it. You see what's happening. But oftentimes I hear the word of God and then I get so convicted, right? Almost to the point of like, oh my gosh, Lord, you know, my head goes down and you're just convicted. What happened? The seed got planted. That spirit-directed, spirit-breathed word was planted in my heart. I got convicted. Or you might have that seed come into your heart and you see an old truth in a new way. Or you have a new insight into who God is, into who you are. Maybe suddenly you're, you're encouraged. You were so discouraged, but now you're suddenly encouraged. Maybe you're anxious about something and then suddenly you hear the word of God and now it's calm, right? This peace comes upon you. Maybe you're kind of low in your passion for Christ. You're kind of apathetic. And then suddenly you hear the word and you get excited. You know, one time I, I genuinely remember experiencing that. I think it might have been a John Piper sermon. 
but I was just kind of sitting on my couch, you know, just kind of, I don't know, just an average day, not really feeling anything. And then I turned on the TV. It wasn't the TV. It was actually, I was casting my YouTube. But I turned it on, and then Piper started preaching. And then within 10, 15 minutes, suddenly I just got so excited, <laughs> right, after being apathetic for a while. I, I just got all excited about God. I didn't even know why. But looking back, that was an experience of having the Word of God planted in my heart. That spirit-breathed, spirit-directed seed. And so sometimes it might show evidence. Sometimes it's just, you know, nothing. And other times it's, wow, things are really beginning to birth in your life. See, that's the fruit. That's what we're talking about. And so any one of these things is evidence that the spirit is working in your life. The word has been planted in your heart. And then you know what happens, brothers and sisters? Over time, as you continue to collect seed, as seed continues to get planted in your heart, it becomes a special history between you and God. It becomes very precious to you. I might have shared this before, but on my laptop, I have an app. It's called Evernote. And on this app, I have a folder called, what do I call it? Rhema. I call it Rhema. But there's a notebook called Rhema. And basically, that means the word of God that's been spoken. And in that notebook, if you if you're to open it up, you see all these different verses of Scripture. And these aren't just verses that I randomly collected. These are all verses that have profound meaning to me. But verses that people spoke over me. They, they gave it to me, right? They texted it to me. My mom calls me oftentimes. She has this kind of, I believe, prophetic gift of having Scripture for the right moment, for the right situation. And she'll give me Scriptures going, Roy, I was praying Isaiah 55, 11. What is that? I don't know. <laughs> and she'll just give me verses. Now, oftentimes she knows. But she'll just give me verses. And over time, this has become my secret history between me and God. These are all the words that God has planted in my heart. So are you a disciple who hears and accepts the word in faith like that? Right? Do you have that kind of a secret history with God? It all just begins by seeing Christ. He's seeing him for who he is, desiring him. And then you open up this book. You just got to open it up. Physically begin to expose yourself to the word of God over and over and over again. And so we're coming to a close, but let me just give you a few encouragements, practical encouragements. But you need to uh, expose yourself to the word of God as frequently, as often as possible. But you need a time and place. I mentioned this with prayer, but you need a time and place to encounter the word of God repeatedly. But Jesus, in his own life, he did everything intentionally. And you know from a very early age, even when he was 12 years old, he knew the word of God and he was discussing the word with other Bible scholars at that time. And so Jesus was a man of the word from a very early age. But you need a time and place as well to open up God's word every single day. Okay, what is your time and place? You know, many years ago, I learned from someone that the greatest and simplest way to kickstart your walk with God is just simply get a time and place. So find a time and place to read your word, to read the Bible every day, and to pray. And so if you want to light a fire in your heart, okay, begin to read the word of God regularly. And so it might happen as you're driving to work. Again, the audio Bible, that's a good start. You okay, move beyond that eventually. Back when I was working as a college pastor, I used to read the word right when I got to the office, the church. Right when I got there, I would open up the Bible and just read a passage. Sometimes it spoke to me, sometimes not much. But that was my time and place. Okay, where is your time and place? 
It might be at night before you go to bed. Maybe you want to read a passage of scripture before going to bed. Maybe it'll be your lunch hour. But whatever it is, you need a time and place. But not only that, but you also need to have prayer and faith. I mentioned faith earlier, right? But pray and read. So that would be my other encouragement. But have a time and place, but also pray and read. Okay, what do I mean by that? But before you open up the word of God, you need to make sure your heart is right, right? You need to make sure that you're truly seeking Christ, that you're doing this in faith. And so pray and read. If you want the Bible to impact you, if you want benefit from the word of God, you need to seek God before you even read about God. But pray and read. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly, foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, they are spiritually discerned. In other words, you need to have the mind of the Spirit to understand the Word of God. How do you get that? You need to pray. So pray. And then here's one final encouragement. But have accountability. So time and place... Pray and read, and then be held accountable. Have other people check in on you to ask you, are you reading the word? What are you reading? What is God speaking to you? And this is my little plug for D groups, but we're having these new discipleship groups. Uh, They're going to be opened up very soon. They're called D groups. But that is a great way to have that accountability. But you're going to actually be held accountable in D groups. But if you join one, you're going to be reading large chunks of scripture together, especially the second uh, portion of the D group. We have different stages of it, but the second stage of it, you're going to be reading a lot of scripture together. And then every week, they're going to ask you, did you read it? How did it go? What did you read? What did you hear? What is God saying? So these are just simple ways to really begin to jumpstart your walk with God. I mean, it's not complicated. But have a time and place. Pray and read. Make sure your heart is in the right place, that you have faith to receive whatever you're going to read, and then be held accountable. Amen? Be held accountable. And brothers and sisters, we're coming to a close, but this is not a trivial thing. This is not just a Christian activity I'm trying to encourage you guys towards, but this is a serious thing. The Word of God truly matters. It truly shapes the entire course of your life. You know, I heard this not long ago, but Steve Lawson, he's a pastor, he's a Bible teacher, But he said, these are the biggest questions that people face in their lives. But he said, everyone at some point in their lives must answer these questions. Who is God? How can I know God? Who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? What is wrong with the world? What is the solution? How am I to live? How am I, how may I know peace and happiness? What is marriage? What is the family? What is death? What lies on the other side of death? Recently, I had a few friends who passed away. I I was asking these questions. How do I go to heaven? What is the final judgment? So Lawson was listing all these questions, the biggest questions in life that everybody must come to terms with at one point in their lives. And then you know what he said? Where will you find the answers to all these questions? In a science book, an economics book, a math book, a history book, a literature book, a philosophy book even, religious books, other religious texts? No, only one book in the Word of God, the Bible. This is the only book that will give you the true and fullest answers to to all these questions. And so 
Brothers and sisters, this year, as we are seeking to be disciples of Christ, we need to be in the word, amen? We need to begin to develop this habit of grace. So let's just come before the Lord. Let's just bow our heads. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, today. And Father God, I ask, Father, for your help. Because Lord God, as your word makes so clear, Lord, we are unable. And even today, Lord God, this encouragement to be in the word, Lord, we we are not able. And I know, Lord, the reality is some, maybe even many here, will go on and not be in the word. And we will go on and do everything but plant the seed of your word into our hearts and the hearts of others around us. We will do everything but that. So, Lord God, we need your help. And so, Lord God, please help us. Please help us, Father. Help us to be people, true disciples, who begin to regularly and diligently read the word, meditate on the word, memorize the word, speak the word to one another, and have it be buried deep in our hearts. And then whether we sleep or get up, whether we're aware of it or not aware of it, doesn't matter, it's going to produce a harvest, Lord. It's going to be amazing. So, Lord God, we thank you, Father. Please, Father. Only you can do it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.